This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Seeks to be defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Today, as we continue in our series, God Is, we are going to spend time in yet another attribute that can often raise some questions. I think often when we consider some of these things and what God is like, if we have an experience that doesn't seem to match up with what we think He promised, that can make us question a lot of things. And today's attribute is another one that, if approached kind of with the wrong motives or the wrong ideas or even sort of a skewed reading of God's Word, It can give us a false sense of who God is, and we will be let down if we're not considering what is actually happening if we pull back and look in a way that is more broad. And that attribute for today is that God is a deliverer, which is a very prominent thread throughout Scripture. God delivers individuals and people groups from a variety of different threats in a variety of different ways. A lot of the stories in scripture are about how God is somehow delivering his people. And in it, he is working out this process of deliverance through a long-term plan. This is made very clear in one story that is not just key for the Christian faith, but is actually a very key story for Jews and Muslims as well. And that is this grand narrative of God delivering his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, and delivering them to a new land. This story is called back to multiple times in scripture because God as deliverer and his people as the delivered are part of his core nature and our core nature as well. God identifies himself so often as the one who brought you out of Egypt. And he identifies his people as the ones that he has brought out. And while people are the beneficiaries of God's deliverance, He delivers, so He is the one who is glorified. Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, God says, I have let you live for this purpose, to show my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. So while we benefit from God's deliverance, He is the point of His deliverance. And yet, even though he is the point and it is ultimately for him, God has us receive it and take part in it and also join with him in the process. So as the story is a lot to read, I'm just going to frame it for us. And then we're going to spend some time looking at three different characteristics we see of God's deliverance. So at the beginning of Exodus for this narrative, we meet the descendants of Jacob and they have come to Egypt to escape famine. And they're saved along with the Egyptians by one of their own, Joseph. Over time, the Egyptians see those who actually their very lives hinge upon as inferior, as a threat. So they end up subjecting them to slavery. And God's people are enslaved for 430 years. Exodus 1, 12 through 13 says, But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor. 
they ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. So as the Israelites are enslaved, God has them grow, no matter how heavy the hand is upon them. God has his ways of being present for those who are oppressed. And in this case, he has them be strengthened. Based on this, the king of Egypt, threatened by how those he's oppressing are growing, calls for all of the baby boys to be murdered. How much of a threat their slaves were to them that they have to enact such a horror. But in resistance and defiance, two women who I adore, the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, they disobey their governing authority to act in a way that is after the heart of God. And they protect the lives of their baby boys. And one baby boy whose life is saved is Moses. Moses' early life is preserved by a series of women who protect him. There's no Moses without Shifra and Pua, without Jacobed, his mother, without Miriam, his sister, and without Pharaoh's daughter. And later on, his life is actually saved also by his wife. Moses is a very big deal in God's deliverance plan, called back to repeatedly. But all of these women, without knowing it, play a big role in God's plan for deliverance as well, simply by doing the right thing after God's heart where they have influence to do so. Israel's deliverance comes from them as well, these people operating behind the scenes, acting boldly. So Moses, because his life is preserved by all of these people, he ends up growing up kind of between two cultures. And as we know, he eventually murders or kills an Egyptian who is beating a Hebrew slave. And he runs away from the consequences of that in order to save his own life. Moses then adopts another culture in Midian, gets married, and starts working as a shepherd. He has the chance to start over. When God, probably very inconveniently for Moses, shows up to him in a burning bush. God says to him there, I have heard the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land. Moses, however, isn't super thrilled about being included in this. But God, I think very generously, gives him some reassurances, and eventually Moses does make his way to Egypt. When he gets back to Egypt, we first see that he confronts Pharaoh as God told him to, and the result is that the workload for the slaves gets worse, which does not seem to win him any friends with the Israelites. They're basically like, thanks a lot for making this even worse than it was. And so Moses goes to God to say, why did you even send me? What's up with this? His exact words are, God, you have not rescued your people at all. And God's response in chapter 6, verse 1 is, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. Because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. I love this part because the situation is so dire for God's people. And God says, just wait and see. Just wait and see what my strength will do. And he says that because his very nature is to deliver them. In chapter 6, verses 2 through 13, listen to how many times 
God's reasoning for what he's going to do is, I am the Lord. 6.2, then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, if the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I am such a poor speaker? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. So here we have God orchestrating deliverance. Why? Because he is the Lord. Because he is Yahweh. Deliverer is part of his nature. And in the story, what follows is a series of 10 plagues, always happening after this back and forth between Moses and Pharaoh. God says, release them. Pharaoh says, no. God sends a devastating plague. And Pharaoh's pride and resolve deepens until in a mighty blow, God takes the firstborn sons of the oppressors after the oppressors have been murdering their sons and Pharaoh releases those he's enslaved. And the people leave with much of the wealth of their oppressors and they cross miraculously through the sea. And then when Pharaoh regrets his decision and goes after them, God protects his people by having the sea open up to let God's people through, and it closes up over the enemies as they head to the destination of their deliverance. So in this act of God's deliverance and in others, we see that God delivers first in his own way. God could deliver his people in a moment, and yet he often seems to use these methods that seem complicated and a little drawn out. Yet he always does have a reason for why he's operating the way that he is. God involves people in this process. People are very messy. I sometimes look at the way God includes people in what he does in scripture and am in awe because he is opting to make the process so much more clunky by involving us. As someone who is very much like a, just do it yourself because it's easier. God is the one who really has the right to do that all the time. And yet he doesn't. He chooses to involve the messiness of his people in the process. 
Also, God could have chosen, I think, here a prominent leader for the Israelites, someone who already has all the people on his side, someone who is a picture of integrity, who wants to lead them to freedom. Rather, God picks someone who was raised with the oppressors, someone who has killed someone else and then run from the consequences. And instead of choosing someone who is eager to bring the people to freedom, he picks someone who is so reluctant to take part that he has a series of arguments that he has with God about why this is actually the wrong plan, why he is the wrong person. At this point in the story, I often think this plan does seem all wrong. This is the wrong way to do this. This is the wrong person to choose. We may often be surprised at who God chooses to be influential in the process of deliverance. This could even be us at times when we are feeling very inadequate or apprehensive of the risks. And his method that he's calling us to is often going to be not what we would prefer. Moses wasn't really on board for this. And especially after that first debacle with the workload increasing, God's people want to bail as well. But thankfully, God did not yield to Moses' objections, and he didn't yield to what the people were concerned about. He wants to free his people. And his methods are meant to involve and change his people along the way to freedom. Nothing in this process of deliverance is a waste. Part of the way God changes people on the way is because his methods are revealing who he is, even when they may be a little confusing for us. For example, the plagues, this display of power, is not just for the Egyptians. It is also for the Israelites to see who God is. Instead of having Moses just sweep in and Pharaoh instantly say, go on your merry way, there is this whole song and dance with these plagues. Why? Well, we do know God is always doing more than what we can understand, but what we do know is that the plagues were not random. Each one was in defiance to a specific Egyptian deity. The plagues were not just then about showing who controls the elements. Oh, look, our God is stronger. The plagues are communicating who holds the power. And it's communicating who holds the power to the oppressors and the oppressed because both need to understand who that is. God is showing his power to the powerless as he, the God of the enslaved, obliterates the gods of their oppressors one by one. This isn't just God showing some muscle, but he is strategically dismantling the power that is behind their enslavement. So God's methods of deliverance never random, never clunky or confusing. They are full of his wisdom and his insight, and he is always making a point. Never random, never nonsense, never waste. God delivers in his own way, using unlikely and reluctant people in very unexpected but purposeful ways. Second, we see that God always brings deliverance in his timing. This can be a hard one because there are very real, immediate ways that people need deliverance, whether we feel ways right now or we see ways around us. And it can be tempting to question that God is deliverer when, why are people just not being delivered? When the oppression and the corruption and the struggle is just going on and on. 
But something we need to bear in mind is that God's timing and perspective is drastically different from ours. It can be very easy for us to just look at the story of the Exodus, and because we just talked through it within a few minutes ago, well, God delivered then, apparently He just doesn't do that anymore. Because I'm not seeing it. But we do need to remember that they were slaves in Egypt for 430 years before this happened. Multiple generations were born and died, not experiencing the physical deliverance from this captivity. But deliverance does occur. God does deliver in His timing. And sometimes part of that is as people, we might live in between the actual events. Scripture never promises us that God will deliver immediately or when it seems the most urgent to us. But Scripture does show us that God is faithful to deliver in accordance with what He has planned, in accordance with what He has mapped out. We see also then when they're finally released from Egypt, God does not take them to the destination of their deliverance in the fastest way. He actually takes them the long way around and in the direction where there is another very clear obstacle. In Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 18, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea, along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. So they're released from slavery, and there is a road nearby to where they are going. And God instead says, I'm going to have you go the long way around, the way through the wilderness, where there is actually another roadblock. I wonder how many of them thought, there is a faster way. There's an easier path. What in the world are we doing? There's a faster way, and yet he's taking us the long way to the destination of our deliverance. Do you ever feel this? I feel this. God, it would be just so quick and easy if you just handled it this way. It'd be done fast. I'd be so grateful. Instead, I am seeing where you are seeming to take me, and it feels like it's in the opposite direction which means it's going to take forever to get there. And it's going to be a lot more difficult along the way for me. But God's timing is full of wisdom. And in the process of deliverance, it's because He sees and knows what we as His children do not and cannot. For the Israelites here, God knew that if they took the fast route, the direct route, He knew what it would bring for them. He knew along that path lay enemies and war, which they do face them, but not for another 40 years. What we see here is that God knows that with the Israelites fresh out of their oppression and their captivity, that now is not the time for them to face that. Not yet. They would just be delivered out of one trial immediately into another. And God in his wisdom somehow knows they need some time and space because if this comes too quick, they're not going to be ready and they're going to turn right back into their captivity. Their captivity is going to feel like safety to them if this comes too fast. When God's choice of the timing of deliverance seems questionable, 
this is where we need to have some some faith that he knows better than we do what we need. And we can have faith as he sees all the generations past and present in that, which means sometimes the generations that have come before us and sometimes the generations that come after us will be the ones to experience that actual event of deliverance while we live the fullness of our lives in the progression of it. There are things that people who have gone before us have been delivered from that we are living in the benefits of. Whether that be whole people groups, historical movements and events, or whether that even be individual things. Individual things, I think of just individual things my own parents were delivered from that broke family cycles that I am reaping the benefits of now. So that can happen large scale or small scale. But people who have gone before you have somehow been delivered from things that you are enjoying, that you are benefiting from. And there are things that God may be working out right now and have you involved in that will bring deliverance to those who come after you. Not just maybe family, but also just whole generations. So God's timing in the process of deliverance means that we labor in the present for the next generations with thankfulness and motivation looking back on those who have labored before. We are connected to the saints across time in this way. So because of God's holding of time, we actually, while we maybe are not experiencing deliverance in the current space, we can be a part of future deliverance by taking part in His work in our present. And that brings us right to our last point, that God delivers His people so that they can join with Him in the work of deliverance. Very easy example with the Israelites is just that they are able to continue and flourish as people who end up bringing us this ultimate deliverance, this ultimate blessing to the world, that what was promised to Abraham through Jesus. And God delivers us from where we are being held captive so that we can be freed up as his image bearers to join with him in his work of deliverance. In Exodus 18, after they kind of start making their way through the wilderness, there is this scene where Moses's father-in-law Jethro comes to visit. And when he visits, they are recounting what it is that God has done for them, how God released them. Five times in that passage in Exodus 18, the Hebrew word to describe Israel's deliverance is this word nostal. Nostal is deliverance with this image of being snatched away. So God is being praised for sort of snatching his people from their oppressors, snatching his people out of captivity. Nostal is the same image, the same word for deliverance that is used at different times when the psalmist then cries out to God for deliverance from rebellious sin. Psalm 39.8 says, Deliver, nostal me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the taunt of fools. Psalm 51.14, Deliver, nostal me from the guilt of bloodshed. God, God of my salvation. Psalm 56, 13, for you have delivered, snatched, 
me from death, even from my feet stumbling, so I can walk before God in the light of life. So just as the Israelites needed God to snatch them out of their slavery, so we need God to snatch us out of this captivity from our sin. And when the work of Jesus delivers us from that eternal hold of sin, we are delivered then into his kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. So we are delivered from something and always into something else. We are not just delivered from, but we are delivered into. From darkness into light, from death into life, from a life of captivity and into a life of freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. This, I think, is such a good word for us because if we have received deliverance from Christ from that eternal hold of sin individually, that does not mean we are now off scot-free. We still live and dwell in a space where there is darkness and sin and temptation. So we are still going to struggle against the effects of sin while we are here, as it still tries to call back to us. And part of us living into freedom and into deliverance is actively warring against those places where sin is still trying to keep you captive. But we battle against those sinful holds with hope, knowing that our deliverer has the final say over us already but we still need to pay attention. We still need to be vigilant. We still need to embrace the rhythms and the opportunities we have for repentance and sanctification, where there are things that are trying to keep us in a different form of slavery. And we work out our salvation here by trying to live in a kingdom way, a way that mimics our Savior, Jesus Christ. So like Jesus, we reject the ways and the rhythms and the patterns of sin. And we also mimic Jesus in proclaiming deliverance and doing the work of setting free the oppressed. Jesus is so wonderfully holistic because he was deeply concerned with the deliverance of individuals from the captivity of sin. And Jesus was deeply concerned with the deliverance of people from captivity from society, culture, systems, governments, religious institutions. So, we join as those delivered into freedom with him in both of those areas. For ourselves, in the depths of our hearts and minds, and for those around us, individuals around us, people groups around us. This is a place where our efforts, when aligned with the heart of the deliverer, always worth our time and our energy and our focus. Because God delights in delivering us so that we are set free in order to be deliverers. It is for freedom we are set free. We are set free to join with God as agents of deliverance. So where may you today need to seek God his deliverance for you individually? Have you never truly sought deliverance from that eternal hold of sin? Jesus beckons to you there. 
Do you belong to Jesus, but you are caught in some sort of cycle of sin? Is there one particular thing that just will not seem to release its grip on you and you've almost lost the will to fight it? Is there something that has a bit of a hold on you and you don't want to give it up? You've sort of figured out a way to be content and comfortable with where I am with Jesus here, but I'm going to nurse this habitual cycle of sin on the side. If that is true, you are in a cycle of captivity. That's not freedom. So be honest and let the Spirit convict and engage in the work of repentance, which often is going to require you to bring that to light somehow. If you have pet cycles of sin that you're keeping in the dark so you can hang on, you are, as it says in Galatians 5.1, you're submitting to a yoke of slavery. God has freedom for you. For freedom, He has set you free. So bring it to the deliverer. Do the work of the deliverance where you may need to confess and repent and have people help you fight against it. Don't fight against those spaces of captivity alone. Those cycles of sin always stand a greater chance of being defeated if you have the right people, God's people, that you can trust around you helping you fight against that. God was pretty smart with this whole community idea. So allow others, when you need it, to be the hands and the feet of the deliverer for you. And on the other side of that, are there areas where you need to be aware and paying attention to where you need to support others in their process of needing to be delivered from things? Think of those around you. Who needs you to give them hope and truth and help them move toward freedom? Or are there areas in your space of influence where there is just real physical and tangible deliverance needed? There are so many different forms of captivity. This can be manifest, you know, physically. This can be manifest legislatively. This can be manifest intellectually, monetarily, emotionally. Wherever there are barriers preventing the fullness of freedom for God's image bearers, that is where the work of deliverance is needed. And we should not need to look far to find those spaces where we need to be the people to bring the deliverer's kingdom to bear. And where you may be feeling stuck or discouraged because even the concept of certain things um, offering deliverance, that just seems unreachable and impossible. Take heart and remember that you belong to someone whose identity is that he is deliverer. And part of your identity as his is the delivered. And remember that following the deliverer, it does require faith. It's not going to be easy because his ways and his timing and his understanding is just at a very different level from ours. So have faith that he uses unlikely reluctant people, even if that's you. Have faith that while his ways may seem very complex and clunky and very slow to come at times, that he sees things that we cannot. So as a people of faith, as a person of faith, remember that in how God delivers, he is playing a long game. And trusting his game plan is really the best thing we can do in our present For while we just know a little bit, he knows it all. And he loves and is faithful to those that he has called his own. For he is the Lord, Yahweh the Deliverer, 
who is for us in this because he himself is the author of true freedom. And for that, he has set us free. So receive and then get to work and join him in the process of deliverance. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are not a God who comes in to add burden, to add stress, to add rules, to add demands, but that you are a God who in your very nature has come to set us free from the things that weigh us down, that hold us down, the things that are slowly suffocating and killing us. And so, God, we know that there are often many ways that we can get in our own way of that. And so I ask that where we need to be opened up to your freedom, that you would break through those things for us personally. But also, Father, I know that oftentimes there are external factors that can keep us in different spaces of captivity. And so I ask God for your work, your movement, and the involvement of your people that where that needs to be happen, happening in our current space, that you would enable us to be your hands and feet to do the work of the deliverer. Not, Father, so that people can be set free and we can look good, but so that people can be set free and so that your name is known in all the earth. We love you. We thank you for your faithfulness to us in the past and where you have brought us today through your deliverance. And I ask that you would help that to be fuel for us as we join you in the work of deliverance for those who will be here next. Help us to have a greater, more eternal perspective, one more similar to yours when it comes to this. We love you and in your name we pray, amen. Now hear the benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, to him be glory both in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.